1 Corinthians chapter 13, continuing the series on love is, beginning at verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. We've already dealt with that much. This morning, verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth. I'm going to divide that up this morning, looking at love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And then three weeks from now, love does love rejoices in the truth. Mark's going to preach the next two weeks, and then I, then I come back to that. So hang on. Verse 6 will not die. We'll, uh, we'll get to the truth part. But this morning, I want us to think about the love of God, this Christian love that He's been describing for us, the solution to the Corinthian church is a love that does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Now, that's a big subject, really, to think about. Um, how many of you this week have allowed the clickbait on your device to take you to something inappropriate? You can't turn on a device these days without sidebars, without things flashing at you all over the place and trying to draw you from what you're reading, what you're looking at, to something else. Do we go to what's unrighteous? Looked up this week just our time on devices, computers, and cell phones. The average American spends six hours and 42 minutes per day on the World Wide Web, on the Internet. Whichever device it is, not talking about all the places you go, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or, you know, all of those, those sites. But six hours, 42 minutes per day. That's 100 days a year. That's 27% of your time. Now, Go with me for a minute to your 70th birthday. And you're having a big 70th birthday celebration. And somebody says, tell us, how is it you've had such a good life? And you say, well, let me tell you this. My life has been abundant because I have been privileged to spend 27% of it on the Internet. Would you applaud such a life? And yet, that's the life we're living right now. Now, of course, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Internet. There's a lot of good stuff you can look up on the Internet. And a lot of our social sites have lots of good things. The, the question, and I didn't even talk about how many hours we're on television or radio. Combine that to the six hours and 42 minutes we're spending on the Internet. What I'm saying is, that amount of time... Just on the internet, 27% of our time, that amount of time begs the question of value. Are we really engaged in something that is righteous or unrighteous? Why? Because love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. What amuses you 
You're looking at the device. That's, that's what you're rejoicing in. Whether it's family photos, whether it's Instagram posts, whether it's your Facebook friends. What amuses you? What entertains you? What entertains your family? What entertains your friends? What entertains you? That's where you're spending your time. And it begs us to constantly evaluate, are we rejoicing in what is righteous or what is unrighteous when we're looking at these images and words and things that we look at? Now, clear example. If you downloaded Billboard's number one song this week, you would not be alone. Last time I checked, it was only on the charts 10 days and over 134 million Americans had downloaded it. Making it number one first week and second week. Tonight, it's going to be in the MTV Video Awards is potentially, it's up for the award, Song of the Summer. Some of you may already have it as your ringtone. Some of you are learning to dance. What is it? Can't even say it. It's so vulgar. The acronym is WAP by Cardi B. Number one song. Some of you follow her on Instagram. And other people like her. That song is a song that depicts selfish, keyword, selfish sexual gratification, adultery, fornication, mis- or deception, manipulation. Could go on and on. I read an interview of Cardi B this week, and she said, because somebody said, you know, it's, it's a pretty adult song. She says, oh, yeah, it's a nasty song. I would never let my daughter jam out to that. She said, but the only people that are really bothered are conservatives, like religious people, like really big religious people. I guess I'm one of those really big. I always like being called big. <laughs> um, she knows it's offensive to people like me. And she knows it's really nasty. Those were her words. I'm just wondering. Are we amused by that? Are we rejoicing in that? I know she cannot love God well. And she cannot love us well. Or her fellow man well. Why? Because love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And so if we're rejoicing in unrighteousness, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, you're not in love. Your idols, your amusement, things that you rejoice in are somewhere else, but it's not in love. How can we love as God loves? How can we be better lovers? How can we love well? We must reject unrighteousness. And we must be flooded with the righteousness of Christ. I want to show you the importance of loving God well by loving righteousness. By showing you first it's consistent with God's purposes for our lives. 
It's also what he uses to correct us. And since he corrects us through holiness and purity and righteousness, we need to learn day to day to be careful about how we think, what we look at, how we engage our time. So let's kind of go through that. First of all, I want us to think about loving well. Loving righteousness is consistent with Trinitarian purposes. Now, how do I get that? Well, when you look at the text, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. You know, I thought, why didn't he just say love does good, nice, sweet things? Well, God didn't say love does good, nice, sweet things. He said love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. What's the difference? See, one's an action, an activity the phrase does not rejoice in seems to be a phrase of nature. It is your nature as a believer, as a Christian, not to rejoice in unrighteousness. Um, that's what he's talking about. Fish don't walk. Bears don't fly. Christians do not rejoice in unrighteousness. It's consistent with our nature. And why is it consistent with our nature? Because that's how God has designed us. God is the designer. And he's created within us. A passion for holiness. Um, put it to you another way. Um, better lovers do nice things. Because. Or. Because you're a better lover. You do nice things or you do nice things and that makes you a better lover. It's because you're a better lover, you do nice things. It's confusing, isn't it? But your nature dictates your actions. And we need to get, get that. Um, let me show you. It's God's plan. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 4. Ephesians 1. Verse 4, here's the work of God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. I'm going to show you the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, verse 3 of Ephesians 1, and I'm going to get to verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father. It's the work of God the Father. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, blameless, and before Him in love. God the Father, before the foundation of the world, planned our holiness. He says, I decided I'm going to have a people, and I'm going to put my people in Christ. And in Christ, I have chosen them in Christ to be holy. To be blameless and to be before me in love. Look at Romans 8. You know verse 28. I want to get you to verse 29. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this. And we know, verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. What for? To become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. What's God's plan? He says, 
the reason I set my love on you, the reason I foreknew you, the reason I've predestined you is so that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. I want you to look like Jesus. I want you to be holy like Jesus. Jesus is sinless. I want you to be conformed to his image. God's plan for us is that we be holy. Now, think about Christ's purchase. Why did Christ come? God the Father, he obviously planned us to be holy. Why did Christ come? Go back to the Christmas story in your mind. Maybe I'll skip, skip the text just for a time. Matthew 121, telling Joseph, Joseph, make sure you call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Hebrew word Joshua, Yeshua, meaning salvation. Make sure you call his name Jesus. What for? Because he will save. This is Matthew 121. He will save his people from their sins. In other words, Jesus is coming for holiness. He is coming to take away our sin and make us holy. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. But by His doing, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Interesting, past tense. It's happened. If you are in, by his doing, you're in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, he has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and holiness and redemption. And if you get that, that amuses you. You rejoice in it. You celebrate it. You boast in it. A whole other thought came into my head. What would it look like if we boast in our holiness in Christ more than we boast in our health and in our wealth? That's what seems to amuse us and occupy us is are we doing okay? Are we healthy? Are we wealthy? We like to boast in those things. What would it look like to boast in holiness and righteousness in Christ? God planned it. Jesus purchased it for us. He has, you know, we just sang a song, it, it gripped me. I don't remember the words of that text, but something about Christ arose. We were thrilled as we were saying, and as he stood in victory, sin has lost its grip on me. Why? Because my nature was transformed. I had been purchased. I had been bought by Christ. He became at that moment my sanctification my righteousness, my holiness, they are mine because I have been bought by Christ. 
What I want you to see, not only God the Father planned it, God the Son purchased our holiness, but I want you to see how the Holy Spirit provisions it day after day after day for us because, you know, we, don't, uh, we still don't live like we should. Look at Titus 3, verse 5. Titus 3, verse 5. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. When we come to Christ, we don't have anything but filthy rags. We don't have anything but unrighteousness. That's the only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. It says our sin does not contribute anything. What happens is the Father planned holiness, the Son purchased holiness, and the Holy Spirit comes and washes us unto holiness. The Holy Spirit cleans us up. We don't do that. It's the Holy Spirit's work among us. It's His passion to wash us by regenerating us and then renewing us. Through the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. Again, Spirit's work says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Basically, you won't be amused by them anymore if you walk by the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and then it lists these sins, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. We don't do that stuff. Why? Because of the Spirit. The Father planned our holiness. The Son purchased our holiness. The Holy Spirit fills us through the regeneration, gives us new life, and gives us new heart, a new passion, new desires, new pleasures. And one of those pleasures is being pleased with righteousness. Um, A duck enjoys water. A pig enjoys cool mud. Christians enjoy righteousness because it's our nature to. We've been transformed unto holiness and righteousness. Um, That's why we're better lovers. It's because we love things that make us more and more like the perfect lover. Like God, our creator, our designer, our savior, our power our personal uh, redeemer within us constantly. Uh, We enjoy righteousness. Should you you marry somebody and say, you know, I'm going to change them. They're going to be better after I get through with them. Absolutely not. Why? Because you can't change nature. We can't change someone's nature Only God can do that. And God does that by planning it, 
by sending Christ to die for us, by sending his spirit to fill us, to transform us, to make the word come alive for us, and then to create within us a heart, a pleasure in what is right, in those things that please God. Um, God the Father's plan, God the Son purchase, God the Holy Spirit's provision. Do you have that? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Why? Because we've been transformed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's now our nature. Um, well, doesn't mean we're everything we need to be yet. We need to work on our holiness. We need correction. And God says, well, sure you do. I'm not making your practice completely holy all at one time. So he's given us the word of God. Look at 2 Timothy um, verse, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He catches the last phrase of this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching. So we, we still need instruction. The scripture is given to us for that. For reproof, we mess up. And somebody needs to come along and use the Bible, or we need to hear preaching and said, that was wrong, I need to change. So reproof. For correction, once we've been kind of woke up to, that was, that's wrong stuff, okay. Correction is, uh, let's make some corrective measures to change the way we're living. And for training, and let's, let's learn how to do that in a habitual manner. Why? All of that through the Word of God. So that, verse 17, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Old King James used to say, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. God wants to furnish us. He wants to equip us. And so to do that, He comes and He instructs and he reproves, and he corrects, and he trains. And he does that through the Word of God. So we must get into the Word of God on an ongoing basis. So that, and ask as you, as you get it, as you open your Bible each day and start reading, ask God, open my eyes that I can behold wonderful things from your law. Lord, there's no part of this. I sometimes read parts of Scripture, and I say, God, what in the world is this here for? I don't get it. And God says, David, remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture, even this part, it is here for your instruction. Figure this out. It's here for your correction. It's here for your reproof. It's here for your training in righteousness. So that you can be thoroughly furnished for every good thing. God corrects us unto righteousness. And he uses the word of God on a daily basis to do so. You say, oh, well, if that's the case, what's going to stop a non-Christian from just picking up the Bible, reading it, and getting some correction? That'll help them out, right? Yeah, it's really not. Not until their regeneration. Look at Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. Romans 1. 18 and 19. This is what's happening when the non-Christian hears preaching and when they open the Bible and read it for themselves. Romans 1, 18 and 19 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? What are they doing? 
they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God, it's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. In other words, God's Word is, is it's obvious. It's true. It's from God. It's for our instruction. The non-Christian gets it, but suppresses it. They don't, they don't practice it. They don't follow it. They, they know it's true, but they some way find a way to discard it. Why? Because they, they want to hold on to their unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Their nature. It's not their nature to be transformed by it until God does His work in their lives, which is their need. Um, people who need... You've run into this. You, you've run into people who obviously need correction. And you've tried to correct them, perhaps. Just pick... Pick anything. And uh, let's use language since that's turned so vulgar. You, you tell somebody, hey, you need to clean up your language. It's, it's really vulgar. And you'll see them sit there, look at you, and they just shake your head. They shake their head and say, yeah, you're right. I should do that. But then no change. Why no change? When they agreed with you. It's nature. It's not their nature to change. They suppress really the need of changing because they have embraced their nature of unrighteousness. So unrighteous, they're going to remain unrighteous. Um, Jesus has told us we can judge a tree by its fruit. What he's really telling us is the nature of the tree determines the fruit. You know that. It's in Matthew 7. I won't go there. You can judge a tree by its fruit. Why does my tomato plant not produce a watermelon? You know, let's suppose I want a watermelon, but I have a tomato plant. So, you know, do I instruct the tomato plant, I need a watermelon? Do I reprove it for not giving me the watermelon? Do I seek to correct it by... Maybe giving it some more fertilizer, giving it more sunlight, giving it more water. It's like, you know, I really am looking for a watermelon here. Why do I not get a watermelon from a tomato plant? It's nature, not nurture. I can give the plant more and more nurture, but it will never change its nature. Only God can do that. And I've had so many people come for counseling that are non-believers. And they say, can't you just give us some routine to do? Can't you just correct us? Can't you give us a new scheme to live by? And I say, no. I said, you're asking for a miracle path to Change your routines. You can do certain things differently, yes. But you can't change your nature. I can give you nurture. I can't give you a new nature. I said, you need Jesus. Only Jesus can wash away unrighteousness. Only Jesus. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Your need is not nurture as an unbeliever. Your need is nature. You need to be radically transformed from the inside. You need a heart for righteousness. Or you will continue to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. As believers, we get corrected. And it furnishes us a good course, a new course. So determine where you are this morning. If you're an unbeliever, your primary need is a new nature. And God has planned it. Christ has purchased it. The Holy Spirit can come and give it to you. But you need new nature. Then there can be correction through the Word, through the Spirit, through God's people. And that counseling that God gives us is for holiness. It's to make us consistent with our new nature in Christ. So if that's the case, God's called us to holiness, God corrects us to holiness, then we need to be careful to be holy as He is holy. For love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices in what is right, what is holy. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. How do we go about being careful to think and act in a holy, righteous fashion? Ephesians 4 makes it uh, clear that basically you put off the old and you put on this new pattern that God teaches us in His Word. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. And he's using Gentiles here as the unbeliever. He said, you need to quit walking like the unbeliever. You need to start walking like the believer. Verse 18, they were darkened um, in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, and they've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you didn't learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So that's the plan. Putting off the old, which is all in this nature of unrighteousness, and putting on the new, which is in this nature of righteousness, holiness and righteousness in the truth of God. That's where God wants us to be, to constantly be evaluating, thinking through our lives, our thoughts, what in this day do I need to put off? What do I need to put on? There's something that's unrighteous that I need to lay down. There's something that is righteous that I need to take up. That would enable us to be the lovers God wants us to be, not rejoicing in unrighteousness. Um, you know, if, if you were to say, well, I'm going to... Um, Say something about my spouse. You know, some of you have a habit of just um, not saying good things. 
You know, he can't cook. He can't this. She can't this. No, 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 no. Lay that aside. Lay that down. Why? I didn't read it, but Ephesians 4.16 says, Our job is to build everyone up in love. We don't tear them down. So a new habit starts. Oh, yeah, that's what I used to do. That's, that's fairly unrighteous, isn't it? Pushing people down when Christ is here to build his church up. So you quit saying the negative And you say, I need to lay that aside. And your spouse will probably remind you. You remember you said you weren't going to tear me down? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you, so you lay that aside and you start building up. We need to have those thoughts. We need to be together and think through all of that. So that we can continue to grow in holiness, righteousness, in the truth. Um, and don't think this is just um, our society, our unrighteousness in our society is so vulgar. Sometimes we don't really think through our thoughts uh, very well. I remember reading uh, a children's book to some kid. I don't remember who the kid was, but or where I was, but I remember picking it up. It was called Mr. Popper's Penguins. And I think it came out about the time those penguin movies were out and everybody's just, oh, so sweet, you know, these penguins. Well, I read through Mr. Popper's Penguins and I got to the end. And I hope somebody here didn't write this book. But anyway, I got, I got to the end of this book and Mr. Popper leaves his wife and his children to go take care of penguins. And I thought, that's terrible. Throw that book out. It's vulgar. It's unrighteous. That's adultery. For a penguin? Do we think through that? That would not be what God wants us to do. To leave our spouse and our kids for the mission of saving penguins. Think through, are we growing in righteousness? Are, what, what, what amuses us? I don't care if penguins amuse you. But does the righteousness of Christ, that's what I was talking about earlier, what would it be? What would it look like if the righteousness that is ours in Christ amused us more than other things? Where is our value and how significant it is to have had our natures changed unto holiness. Where is our boast? Where is our rejoicing? Are we rejoicing in righteousness? Because by nature we do not rejoice in unrighteousness. It's sad today. So many people are, seems to be rejoicing in deception and manipulation. And so many in this pandemic and in this political year are, are saying so many things. And we need to constantly be evaluating, is this righteous or unrighteous? Where is this taking us? I heard a, uh, a surgeon, politician I love. I hope he's a good brother in Christ. I don't know. I hope I'll see him in heaven but you may have heard him, Ben Carson, heard him this week. And I know what he was doing, and I know, you know, he, he meant well. But I just want to sharpen your thinking. 
He made an analogy at the end of his speech that America, you're like the light of the world. You're that light. And you don't set the light under a basket. And when I said that, I said, you probably got that out of the Bible because you're probably a Christian. You've probably been reading your, your Bible, but that's wrong. America's not the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus says to his church, not to America, to the church, you are the light of the world. And the church doesn't need to be underneath a basket, doesn't need to be closed down, doesn't need to be covered up, but it needs to be on a hill so it's seen and its message needs to be heard unto righteousness. But we can't get there if we let people deceive us in unrighteousness. And we think through just... The, the plan to, to mask us all and to cover us all with, with some sort of shield, I get that's discernment for health. Not a problem, not, not evaluating that. But think about how Jesus came. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And He dwells among us as the Word of God. Does God want His Word to be under a muzzle? Does he want it to be behind a mask? Does he want it to be obscured? Does he want the clarity of expression to be removed? Or does he want the word of God to be proclaimed in season and out of season? So that everyone might hear. He wants the word of God to spread like the waters cover the sea. Are we rejoicing in that? Or do we rejoice in our health and in our wealth? Lovers, good lovers, do not rejoice in unrighteousness. But find their passion, their joy, their love in the righteousness of God. Why? Because God planned it. Because Christ purchased it. And because the Holy Spirit provisions it. Let's get on that page. The same page as our God. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Wow, David, I, I can't say that I've ever really had a passion for righteousness and holiness. The holiness of Christ. The reason is because of nature. You need a new nature. It's a prayer way. Don't leave here without asking God, Lord, I need you. I need transformation. I need a heart that burns after Christ, that burns after righteousness. Your need is a new nature. No amount of nurture is going to get you that. You only need the word at that point to hear your need of nature. You need to be regenerated, transformed, born again by Christ. After Christ has changed our nature, we don't go back into the pitch of sinfulness, but we begin to live and rejoice in the holiness and righteousness that has been purchased for us by Christ. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your word and your truth. It's so easy to walk in a dark world that's not reading it, not focused on it, spending hours a day outside the truth of holiness and righteousness. Father, draw us back. We need each other to stimulate and encourage us in the Word of God every day. It needs to become our delight so that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Forgive us, Lord, by being so amused with so many things that aren't pleasing in your sight. Let us walk by the Spirit. Transform us. Turn us from darkness to light. Father, for those in this place this morning who know they need Jesus, we ask that you would grant them Jesus. Come to them. Be their Lord. Be their Savior. Take their sin. Implant within them, by your Spirit, a washing, a regeneration, a holiness that they never earned, but has been purchased by Christ. Father, cleanse us, forgive us for not seeing the value that you have given to us, the righteousness of Christ. May this communion time truly be a time where we celebrate it, we rejoice in what's been given to us, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.